This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. I've told you all along, you cannot trust these bureaucracies. You cannot trust institutions in this country anymore because so many of them have been overtaken by left-wing ideologues. That's the case when you talk about the news media has been for a long time. Uh, It's also now very apparent when you look at the major bureaucracies out there. You look at what's going on with institutions like the CDC. So it's gone beyond just the private sector wokeness. It's gone beyond college campuses and universities that have Marxists running all over the place. Now, what should be nonpartisan government, federal government institutions are provinces of the left effectively and are working for progressive and woke ideology in whatever way they can. This is a major challenge. This is a threat to our freedoms and liberty. It's one we have to take very seriously. Uh, But you also have to focus on what's going on online these days. And as you know, the Internet never forgets. And there's never been a more important time to protect your Internet activity than right now, given all the politicization and all the ways that big tech are punishing people. That's why I urge you to get ExpressVPN. Everything you search for, watch, or click online can be tracked by big tech companies. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. When I switch on ExpressVPN, my computer, my phone, whatever it is I'm using, has a masked IP address. Makes it a lot harder for websites to identify me. Use ExpressVPN on up to five devices simultaneously. It's so easy to use. You download the app. You'll have it set up in a minute. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies. Go with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com buck to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com buck to get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com buck right now to learn more. I've been warning you all along that the CDC was going to get addicted to all the power and influence that it's had. This is an institution. This is an organization of the federal government that has been largely resigned to putting out flu advisory notices. You know, once in a while, there'll there'll be an Ebola scare or there'll be a, a, a hantavirus outbreak somewhere and they'll they'll call someone at the CDC for comment on the news. But generally speaking, the CDC was something that you mostly knew about because in zombie apocalypse movies or in some, uh, you know, some some sci fi thriller, the CDC would make an appearance. Right. I I like the show The Strain, for example, and the hero is a CDC scientist. It's actually a good show. I think it holds up pretty well for what it is. But now we see that just like all the other federal bureaucracies, the CDC is involved in not just partisan politics, but in progressive politics, in Marxist identity politics. And it doesn't want to step away as as the COVID pandemic slowly fades. It's going to be a long, painful extrication from the overlords that we have now at the CDC telling us what we can do, where we can shop, whether we can go and breathe fresh air outside without some smelly rag across our face, right? That, that's not going to be an easy process in and of itself. But the CDC wants to be involved in the national conversation. That's why they have Rochelle Walensky as the director now. This is somebody 
who is a progressive and a leftist. I mean, she is, I, I assure you, entirely in line with all of the political positions of a primetime MSNBC host. Now, if you were to sit down, you know, Robin, uh, Robin Walensky of the CDC, I'm sorry, Rochelle Walensky of the CDC is somebody who would believe in, of course, a woman's right to choose, meaning terminate a pregnancy for all nine months. She believes, I'm sure, in all of the the whole panoply of transgender rights, even the ones that are being created as I'm still sitting here speaking to you. I'm sure she believes in giving puberty blocking drugs to 10 year olds who think that they're a different gender than they are. Whatever it may be, find a left wing issue and the head of the CDC. And I'm sure all the people around her, too, because these are science bureaucrats. Who do you think goes to work for the CDC? People that are really going to cure cancer or people who want to be working in the government you went to med school for four years and then did your residency or you have a Ph.D. in microbiology and you want to go work at this at the CDC. So you can do what exactly if you're really good, generally speaking, aren't you going to go to big pharma? Aren't you going to actually work at a place where they're coming up with new drugs that save people's lives? Just pointing this out, folks, as we all sit around worshiping uh, St. Fauci as if this guy knows anything. Uh, but here they are weighing in today. We're still. Uh, in the midst of this COVID pandemic, it's fading out, but there are a lot of cases still and people are dying every day. And uh, there, you've had a real spike in cases in places like New York and Michigan, which we'll talk about more later. Th yet they're immediately shifting focus because they don't want to lose the ability to be front and center in the public conversation. They're, they're shifting focus here to racism as an urgent public health threat. Now, there are a lot of ways that we could tackle this conversation. You can get into this. But let me just give you a sense of this. This is the statement from Rochelle Walensky, MDMPH, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Here's what she writes. The COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in the death of over 500,000 Americans. Tens of millions have been infected. And across the country, people are suffering. Importantly, these painful, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, the disparities seen over the past year were not a result of COVID-19. Instead, the pandemic illuminated inequities that have existed for generations and revealed for all of America a known but often unaddressed epidemic affecting, uh, impacting public health. Racism. Wow. The real public health epidemic, I guess, isn't COVID. The, the one that we're going to have to struggle with for for generations, the real public health epidemic is racism. Think about this. How, how is racism a public health epidemic? Where, where do, can we can we isolate racism in a Petri dish? Can we actually do do a test for, you know, antibiotic resistance when it comes to racism? I mean, what are we really talking about here? No, this is the transference of a supposed institution of science, which is really just a massive government bureaucracy that's a tremendous amount of sloth, waste, and abuse, and has been catastrophically inept during the COVID pandemic. Let's remind ourselves of that. Remember when in the early days, messed up all the testing? The CDC messed up the testing. And also, who was telling you in the beginning, guys, testing for this disease is just one of a hundred steps to try to deal with this. But there was such a focus on it because it was it turned into it was Trump's fault that the tests in the early days weren't uh, coming out in the numbers that they needed them to, meaning they weren't producing enough of these tests. Anyway, 
the, the CDC has been a, an abject failure. Um, they were they didn't have the backbone, the institutional backbone to say, sorry, lazy teachers unions. The schools should be open. All of them. Always. There is no reason to shut down K through 12 education ever in this country. The data never supported it. It was never reasonable. CDC too cowardly to do that because do you think that if you took a poll of CDC employees, what, 95 percent of them voted for Joe Biden? That's what I would guess, about 95 percent. And if you wonder where I get these statistics from, if you look at the federal government and federal government bureaucrat donations in the Hillary Trump campaign, guess what? Over 90 percent went to Hillary Clinton. So you got a whole bunch of of CNN watching leftists working at the CDC, and now they want to get in on the next big challenge, racism as a public health threat. And, you know, they cite for they they cite in this uh, health data about life expectancy. Uh, They cite that uh, white Americans live longer than black and uh, black and Hispanic Americans on average. And so this this is racism. It has to be racism, they say. Right. What's so fascinating is, do you think that white Americans have the longest life expectancy? Because, you know, white supremacy, when they talk about racism, the only racism they're fighting against, it's not black on Asian racism. It's not Hispanic on black racism or or anything else. It's white supremacy. We all know that. That's the only racism that concerns the left in this country. There is no other racism as far as they're concerned. Even racism among other races, they will tell you, and you know this is true, is the result of white supremacy. So white people are the are the reason for all racism all over the world, in fact, which is insane. But that's what the left believes. Somehow Asian Americans have a considerably higher life expectancy. I believe it's over 80 uh, than white Americans do, which is interesting, isn't it? Because Asian Americans also have higher average household income than white Americans do. But but the system of white supremacy cannot be we, we can't say that this is an exaggerated construct of the left. No, no, we all have to bow before the terrors of the white supremacist system that exists all over our country. Look, there's a tremendous amount. Uh, there's a there's there's a tremendous amount of misinformation out there about all of this. Right. There's a tremendous amount of people who are are sitting around saying hold on a second maybe the cdc has actually got this right and they and they and as i said they have to they have to bow down to this notion that white supremacy is influencing all of our institutions it's it's in everything it's everywhere it's all over the place Maybe can we can we have a conversation as to whether that's actually exaggerated and that's harmful and that separates us and that that pulls us apart. Right. Can can we have a conversation about that or are we, we not allowed to No, we're just supposed to accept their premise. We're supposed to accept their premise that even the health disparities from covid are a function of white supremacy and racism, structure, structural racism, white supremacy. These are the same things. They're used interchangeably now. They didn't used to be. White supremacy used to be guys with, you know, neo-Nazi tattoos and shaved heads who were, you know, really bad people. Now white supremacy is, well, there's disparate representation in the, you know, MIT 
electrical engineering program among different ethnic groups. So that looks like white supremacy to me. I mean, it's it's abused all the time. It's abused all the time as as a as just a concept now to silence people. And and then that brings me to uh, the CDC. I've been worried all along that the left has seen something here. Um, the left has seen that if you can terrify people based upon their health or if you can go for something, what, what's really perhaps the most personal thing for all of us, our health, our ability to enjoy our day to day lives and to stay alive. And this is a really effective means of control. This is a really effective means of getting people to do whatever you want them to do. We've seen this during the pandemic. I've said they're going to go from the public health emergency to the climate change emergency. They're going to go from the uh, they're going to go from the public health emergency to the gun violence emergency, which they've already done. And in fact, as you know, the CDC always wants to study gun violence as if the CDC has a role in this. But it's using a large federal bureaucracy under the guise of health to control you. And they say that this is now all about racism because then all these equity challenges all across the country, it turns into listen to the science. That's what they'll say. Listen to the science. And as we all know, that hasn't been true about their approach to COVID. It's definitely not going to be true about their approach to what they call now white supremacy, which is it's almost hard. It's hard to define. It's whatever the left decides it is. And now it's whatever the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, decides it is. Perhaps we should call it the Centers for Racism Control now. We got in this CDC statement put out by the the director, Walensky, very political. Obviously, if she's going to get that job in the Biden administration, we will continue. Oh, sorry. Here you go. As the nation's leading public health agency, CDC has a critical role to play to address the impact of racism on public health. To say that there's racism in public health. They never will say who's committing the public health racism. That's what I want to know. I, I want to know who's actually doing the racism in public health. Now, if they want to argue that there is an economic disparity for health outcomes, that's absolutely true. And we should look at how that happens, why that happens, where that is. But if they're going to say that there, racism requires action by individuals, that is immoral. That's what racism has to be premised on. That's what racism has to be based on. So who's doing it? Are, are doctors not treating minority patients because they're racist? Whose fault is it if one community drinks more uh, sugary soda, for example, and, and, and more foods that are likely to contribute to type 2 diabetes than another? Do all ethnic groups in this country actually have the same risks from different diseases? It actually turns out, if you look at the numbers, there are some diseases that all over the world disparately affect certain populations based on ethnicity. That's just a genetic reality. Some people, some uh, some groups, ethnic groups, national groups are more susceptible to certain diseases. I mean, one that comes to mind is sickle cell anemia, for example. So there actually are some health disparities that are just there that that aren't the result of racism. It's worth noting that. But how do they how do they expect how is the CDC going to say that we should tackle this? Well, you see an example of it uh, of it in Vermont. This is from Scientific American Vermont to give minority residents priority for covid vaccines. 
this was just just recently. States have tried with limited success to get vaccines to people of color who have been disproportionately killed and hospitalized by the virus. Starting Thursday, Vermont explicitly gave black adults and people from other minority communities priority status for vaccinations. It follows Montana, which in January announced that Native Americans and other people of color, because they're at higher risk of complications from COVID-19, would be allowed to uh, receive the vaccine. All black indigenous residents and other people of color who are permanent Vermont residents and 16 or older are eligible for the vaccine. Okay, so we're actually now prioritizing people for life saving for what we all understand is a life saving vaccine based upon skin color. That is happening in America today. You, you think that this is the beginning of this or you think that this is just a one off? You think that they're going to do more of this or they're going to do less of this going forward? Right. <clears throat> this when I say this, I mean, using race as a means of making distinctions about health that really matter, distinctions about public health authorities and state resources in ways that really matter. You know, would it have been fair? I mean, I had to help my family members. I had to help my parents get vaccinated. They're both seniors or my mom's close to being a senior. Uh, I had to help them get appointments and figure out, and it was not easy for them at all. Would I resent the idea that people who are younger than my parents but are of a of a preferred by the CDC racial category would go ahead of them, even though the risk, as we know, is first and foremost determined by age. Yeah, I think that that's a problem. I think that's racism. But that's not the way that the uh, the left sees this at all. They are pulling us apart. They, they are Marxist I- identity politics obsessed. That's what's happening now across the country, and that's what's happening with the CDC's involvement in all of this. And you know they're 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 doing things at CDC like here's here's how they're tackling this right. Let's ask about what are they really doing. We're expanding our internal agency efforts to foster greater diversity and create an inclusive and affirming environment. That's going to save a lot of lives. Yeah, I'm sure the CDC is going to be really successful in that. We're launching a new web portal, racism and health, as part of our ongoing commitment to serve as a catalyst for public and scientific discourse around racism and health, and to be accountable for our progress. Oh, I'm sure they're going to be really accountable. Here's how they finish off this statement. Confronting the impact of, of racism will not be easy. I know we can meet this challenge. I know we can create an America where all people have the opportunity to live a healthy lifestyle when we each take responsibility and work together. I am committed to this work. I certainly hope you will lean in and join me. Uh, this is all just this is all just the same stuff that you see, the, the kind of you know, Marxist equity babble that you see from college and university admissions offices. I mean, they're they're really pushing very hard on this notion that America is this really evil, racist country and that there is no, in fact, equal protection under the law. The law has to be making constant distinctions between people based upon race. This is an enormous moral regression. This is absolutely wrong. This is absolutely going in the wrong direction. And it started with smaller things like, oh, a little bit of affirmative action in schools, a little bit of affirmative action in hiring. Now you've got states that are saying, oh, you're black or Latino. You get priority access to a vaccine over other people, including other people who are at higher risk because of their age and comorbidities, because equity. It's actually happening in this country right now in America. The Biden administration is, of course, pushing all this stuff as much as they possibly can. That's right. 
Rich old white guy Joe Biden is trying to convince America he's so concerned with equity. Sure he is. It's a fraud, friends, but unfortunately it's one we're going to have to fight back against because this is just the beginning. The CDC as a woke agency is a reality. You really got to fight to get to the truth these days. The media is lying to you all the time, more than ever. It is worse. I just want to say that it's worse than it's ever been. And also people are more uh, politically uh, locked into their beliefs than they've ever been before. People are more uh, certain that whatever they're whatever they're saying is the only proper way of and I'm talking about even the words they use, but just their positions as well. We are in a, a polarized and ossified political environment, unlike anything that's ever been before in my lifetime. It's existed in the past, but it's gotten worse. It keeps getting worse. And you see this even over the gun control issue and the way that Joe Biden's talking about gun control. And you say, oh, hold on a second. Why is he coming up with this stuff? And he's had so much time with all these different advisors and people that are actually writing these speeches and the legislation in Congress. And he lies about stuff. And we're supposed to think that that's not a big problem. Like it's not an issue that when it comes to a constitutionally protected right, you have the president of the United States saying things that are just not true. And, and then if you bring that up, people yell at you like you're a bad person. The truth will get you in trouble. Well, the good news is there are other people out there like you who share your beliefs and you know this, but if you've tried to share your political opinions on social media lately, it's hard to have a civil conversation. Luckily, there's caucusroom.com. It's a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucusroom is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. Only real people who are verified conservatives can become caucusroom members, but caucusroom will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign-up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood, no bots or trolls. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. At Caucus Room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure the platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions over the past year. Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M dot com to interact with other listeners just like you. Again, caucusroom.com. Dot com C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M, caucusroom.com. Join the Buck Saxon listeners group and interact with others just like you. Most people don't know it. You walk into a store and you buy a gun, you have a background check. But you go to a gun show, you can buy whatever you want and no background check. Not true. Does anybody care anymore when things are not true, when Joe Biden says them or when a Democrat says them or... Oh, I, I know we, we can apply the Don Lemon standard, which is, well, Trump lied so much that no lies matter anymore. No, I, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with any of that. But that's the standard they're trying to apply now to cover up for Amtrak Joe. You know, here I am. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, just going to say this stuff. And, you know, I'm no joke, friends, you know, just kind of a little breathy, a little. A little bit of stop and start. Listen to me, because I'm so earnest. Such a, such a straight shooter. But not like a gun shooter, like a different kind of shooter. 
It's not true that you can go to a gun show and buy a gun without a background check uh, as a matter of policy. That's not the case. If you're a federally licensed firearms dealer at a gun show, you will run a background check. So when Joe Biden says that you can just go to a gun show and buy one, that's not true. There is some wiggle room in the law for hobbyists and enthusiasts who aren't engaged in selling guns as a as their business who are at a gun show. But the overwhelming majority, it turns out, of people that go to gun shows and buy a gun will actually have to pass a background check. There's a whole other part of this argument, too, that I think is worth noting, and that's a lot of really bad people can pass background checks. If somebody has a criminal background, they're going to know that, and they're very likely to ignore whatever the gun laws are if they want to get a gun. But a lot of other people, uh, including people that have severe mental illness or are going to go on some kind of a, a shooting spree, uh, they, when you look at it, uh, they would pass, they do pass background checks a lot of the time. So I understand that there are a lot of security measures. I'm not one of these people that's going to pretend that there's no need for things that aren't 100% effective, right? I mean, this is what the left does with vaccines now. Well, it's not 100%, so you still have to mask up. What? That's crazy. Sorry, not 100%. All right, they're playing games here. Yes, vaccines are incredibly effective at preventing the virus from being spread as well as individuals from getting it. It's not perfect. I understand that you can make a case that background checks are are going to work sometimes and they do work sometimes in stopping people from getting firearms. But let's also not overstate the fact that a lot of mass shooters pass background checks. So, you know, you're 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 throwing a bunch of things at this in the hopes that it's going to reduce violence in a meaningful way. And what you really get with the background check stuff, for the most part, is going to be the if it saves just one life mentality, which is not how we make policy. If it saves one life is the basis for a truly tyrannical government, because think of all the ways anyone who's going to argue with me on this one. The speed limit should be 10 miles an hour. We would save tens of thousands of lives a year. It's true. 10 mile an hour. What? You have to go so fast. What, your business wouldn't function anymore? Too bad. It'll save lives. We don't do that, do we? Although I worry these days that the mentality in the era of COVID has changed so much that people would say, yeah, actually, you know, we probably should have a 10 mile an hour, a 10 mile per hour speed limit. You know, I, th- I think we actually should have that. Um, so the gun show thing is not true. But more importantly, you get to the underlying philosophy of Joe Biden and his underlying philosophy of the Constitution uh, here's what he says. Play two. There are phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Isn't that so interesting? Uh, because the only amendment to the Constitution, and this is just obvious, the only amendment to the Constitution the Democrats believe is absolute is the uh right to an abortion, which is not in an amendment, nor is it in the Constitution, but there can be no restrictions on it whatsoever. No limitations whatsoever. They will fight any number of things that have come forward, that, including making abortion uh, centers have, uh, have doctors with admitting privileges at a hospital. The Democrats, the left, will fight against that like crazy, including saying that you need to have a surgical-grade 
uh, medical center to be performing abortions. Democrats will fight against it. So even what we would call safety measures for abortions, never mind stopping of abortions, they will do everything they can to stop. They'll do everything they can to shut that down. And unfortunately, they're very successful in it. Uh, they, they are abortion absolutists. That is true of Democrats. That is true of the left. Um, so that's one thing. They, they do believe in, in an abs. And it's just ironic that the only amendment that they believe is absolute is the one that doesn't exist or the only constitutional right, which is the right to an abortion, which does not exist. And they can continue with this lie as long as they want. But it's absurd. Uh, and then you have something else that, that I thought about where, where Biden pulled the fire in a crowded theater line. It's remarkable. Democrats keep doing this. I mean, a lot of politicians and some Republicans will do this, too. Sometimes fire in a crowded theater comes from a Supreme Court decision, Shank v. United States, where the Supreme Court wrongly held that a person passing out flyers, a socialist pacifist who was opposed to the First World War, passing out flyers against the draft and against Woodrow Wilson, who was a tyrant, by the way, against Woodrow Wilson's desire to enter the U.S. in the First World War, clearly protected political speech, that that was, quote, the equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater. So Democrats think this is clever. Biden thinks this is clever to say, well, there are limitations on rights like yelling fire in a crowded theater. And he actually cites a uh, a pseudo intellectual justification for the tyrannical shutdown of speech. Because that's what that actually refers to. Um, but you just never you, you never expect Democrats when they speak when they speak about the Constitution. I'll, I will just say this. It's a little bit like when Democrat politicians speak about the Bible. You can they're always they're always a little uncomfortable. There's always a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a little uh, blue collar Joe here. I'm just, you know, doing my thing. And, you know, I get kind of folksy and, uh, you know, I get a little breathier and uh, you know something you know four score and on the seventh day and the thing you know they just kind of mutter off into nonsense because ultimately democrats believe that the constitution is a question of utility they actually don't think that they're that you know they, they don't think that there are um universal truths that the founding fathers saw in those documents and, and in the document of the Constitution and in the the Bill of Rights that are more important than whatever the Democrat agenda of the moment may be. You know, shared principle doesn't matter. Look at how we've switched from a country that wants equality to a country that now wants equity, which is just this is just a pathway to Marxism. If this means the same ends, you get what the state says you can have. As much as possible, make that true. Not the state will treat you and another person equally under the law. You will have the same recourse to the law. You will have the same protections under law. And then it's let the best man win. We have a great society because we are willing to have an unequal society. We are not equal in terms of talents. We are not equal in terms of hard work, of intelligence, of of you know, beauty of 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 health, of all kinds of things. It's not fair. Life is never going to be fair. But a government that tries to create a utopian society by having absolute control, we see what this does and it results in misery. It results in in the shared 
shared misery as uh, Churchill. And I, there's always a Churchill quote. There's always a Churchill quote when you need one. <clears throat> Capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings and socialism is the unequal sharing of misery or rather the equal sharing of misery. Uh, you can't mess up your Churchill quote. That's not good. But here we have one of these times where you see very clearly the Democrat agenda laid before you and on guns, on health, on all of these things. It doesn't matter what argument we make. They've decided they want these things. They have an emotional impulse to get it to get it done. And that's why you just you see that it, it all all the facts and figures that you can put forward it falls on deaf ears. Doesn't matter. It's already decided in their minds. So it's very, uh, very challenging to see this as anything other than a power grab when you actually get into the facts and figures with Democrats on gun control. And it's not going to save us, meaning it's not going to save a lot of lives. It's not going to deal with the enormous gun violence surge last year. Uh, the gun violence surge was the result of undermining law enforcement and emboldening criminals, which was all part of a left wing narrative that America is a racist place and that cops are racist and that there's a justification for the destruction of uh, businesses and rioting in neighborhoods because of that. That's what led to the worst murder rates we've seen in this country in over 20 years. But no, instead, we're going to talk about ghost guns. We're going to talk about how we can have some change made to uh, to guns at gun shows. I mean, all this stuff. Oh, we've got a new ATF director who doesn't like the Second Amendment. OK, that's really going to help. Right. This is garbage thinking. But the Biden administration, as you've seen, there's there's a lot of not just uh, bad policy approaches, but bad faith in the way they talk about this and in the way they view the other side. This all began with the disdainful narrative of everyone who voted for Donald Trump was somehow a part of the January 6th insurrection, which wasn't an insurrection. And the more we found out about it, the more we realized it was a, you know, it was a mob that got out of control, didn't actually kill any cops and is being treated like it was some kind of militia effort to overthrow the United States government when it was really a bunch of misled losers who did something very, very stupid and very foolish. But that was the beginning narrative, you see, because the Democrats now they view you and me through that lens. So they're not going to listen to us on guns. They're not going to listen to us on COVID, not listen to us on anything. We just get pushed aside, swept away. One of those January 6th insurrection supporters, even though we've been condemning that thing the whole time. It doesn't matter. They don't care. President said a moment ago, quote, you go to a gun show, you can buy whatever you want. No background check. Is there a special exemption in federal law that he was referring to? Or just do FLA dealers not have to do background checks when they're at a gun show? Are, are you asking me if he was referring? No, it's OK. Were you asking me if he was referring to like a specific circumstance? Or I'm sorry to tell me a little bit more about your yeah. question. I mean, is it the president's belief that you do not have to undergo a background check when you are at a gun show? No, it's not his belief. He believes that gun that background check should be universal. 
Right. He says no background check. Well, we know what his position is, right? So let me reiterate that, which is that uh, gut background checks are something that should be universal. They're supported by more than 80% of the public. He's supported legislation, advocated for that, um, and uh, advocated against loopholes as well. So that's his position, and I appreciate you asking for the clarification. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, Jen Psaki. Another Psaki bomb dropped here because he said very clearly, we all heard Joe Biden before, he said, that you can go to a back, you can go to a gun show, no background check. That was the no background check. That was the quote, not pretty much always a background check, but maybe under some circumstances, you might be able to get a firearm without a background check. Uh, that's not what he said. So when she says we know his position, OK, but what he said isn't true. And it should matter what the president of the United States says on a policy issue like this, where the facts are really what we are talking about. The facts are really what's what's at issue here. Um, Vice President Harris is also out there on the push for gun control. Here she is, play nine. Over the course of my career, I have seen gun violence up close. I've looked at autopsy photographs. I've seen with my own two eyes what a bullet can do to the human body. I've held hands with the hands of parents who have lost a child. I have seen children who were traumatized by the loss of a parent or sibling. And I have fought my entire career to end this violence and to pass reasonable gun safety laws. Time and again, as progress has stalled, we have all asked, what are we waiting for? Because we aren't waiting for a tragedy, I know that. We've had more tragedy then we can bear. We aren't waiting for solutions either, because the solutions exist. They already exist. People on both sides of the aisle want action. Real people on both sides of the aisle want action. Okay. What action do we supposedly want? The banning of ghost guns. Is the banning of ghost guns? I'm, I'm just wondering if we went down this list, let's let's take a look at a city like, oh, Chicago, which had a massive increase in shootings last year. And it's already far too violent as a city with the banning of ghost guns or the background check provision changes that they want or or anything that Biden's talking about classifying uh, a, uh, modifications to a, a pistol. So that'll be a short barrel rifle and you'll have to register it under the National Firearms Act. Would any of that stop a single one of the shootings in Chicago last year? Let's just take that as a as as one point here. Would, would any of them do that? I, I don't have the answer. I bet the answer is less than one percent of those shootings would have been affected by those things. But this is the action we have to take. This is what we have to do. It's about so much more than that. There is a fundamental philosophical difference between the left and the right on the issue of guns. They think that guns are a little private rebellion in the hands of individual American citizens, and they cannot abide it. And we think that that little private rebellion that each one of us has by essentially having the opportunity to tell the state there is a line that you shall not cross. There is a break against tyranny. There is a bulwark against tyranny that is an in individual hands, which is the right to bear arms. Uh, that's very important to this country. You know, advanced, sophisticated democracies in the past with a high standard of living and 
have gone fully tyrannical. They did not have an armed population. We have an armed population, and we want it to stay that way. Democrats want to create registries and harass lawful gun owners in every way they can, change the culture, change everything about the gun ownership reality in this country so that they put it on a glide path to eradication. That's what's really separating the two sides. It's Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi from NationalReview.com is joining us right now to talk about guns and maybe even some Hunter Biden stuff if we've got the time. David, great to have you. Let's jump right to this, man. This seems to me like it is absolutely as predictable as anything could be. The Biden administration, we're a few months in, and we're having... It's the the same gun control debate we had under the Obama administration time and again. They never give up. I'll give them credit for that. Yeah, I was thinking about about that the other day about how I'm constantly I feel like I'm writing the same thing over and over again. But it's really not my fault because they keep coming back with the same exact arguments, the same exact uh, policy proposals. Actually, they're getting a little worse. Like Biden said a lot of ridiculous things the other day that are completely False. I mean, there are lies about gun shows, uh, you know, not having to have a uh, background check when you buy guns at gun shows, about AR-15s, about everything. So I'm not sure exactly why they're doing this, because it seems unlikely legislation will pass, but it definitely will rile up gun owners. We'll probably see another huge spike in gun owners, you know, people buying guns if if the manufacturers can keep up with it. I'm not sure. And what do you think they really hope? to accomplish by this i mean if if we were if we were able to sit in in a meeting in the oval let's say with kamala and joe and you know the ron Klain, is this to drive up the the democrat base's enthusiasm for this administration and just to drive up donations or or do you think that they really believe that they're gonna because i mean my thing is even if they got these things no one who understands the numbers and, and the statistics thinks that a change in ghost guns is going to bring down the violence rate or you'd be able to show how this is actually saving lives. So what do they think they accomplish with this? Well, I think it's two things. First of all, I think there's a lot of pressure from left wing groups to do something. So they decide to, you know, pretend they're doing something ghost guns. You know, when you're when you're going the uh, executive order route, there's only so much you can do. It's unconstitutional to limit, you know, AR-15s or whatever. So they're trying to sort of nibble at the edges to allow people to uh, get excited about them doing something. The second part is if they do something, if they somehow get something through the point, you know, AR-15s are used in only a small fraction of murders in the United States. But if they get something through, um, it's incrementalism. And they, they want to take your guns. I have zero doubt about that. And they're just trying to figure out ways in which they can move forward, constantly move forward. I am, you know, I'm against any, like, it doesn't matter what I'm for, but I'm against any legislation that moves forward with more gun control. We have 40,000 gun laws on the books. We don't need any more. We need enforcement of gun laws we have. We need someone to investigate Hunter Biden, see why he had a weapon and why he lied on his background check form and why a gun was thrown out in the garbage near a school, for instance. Well, can, can, can you, can, David, can we dive yeah. into that? Because I actually haven't covered that yet on the show. And so I want this audience to know exactly what you're and we we're going to talk about Hunter Biden in general and all the stuff that's come out. But tell everybody what happened with the Hunter Biden gun situation. Well, he, you know, when you buy a gun, you sign a background check. A lot of people don't know that because Democrats always lie about it. But 90, you know, eight, 99 percent of people who buy guns have to go through a background check. Every gun has gone through a background check. 
And Hunter Biden has a, I believe it was just a, some kind of semi-automatic gun that he bought at a gun shop. But he lied on his background check form because he said that he wasn't, um, I don't know how it's phrased, but it's using did, drugs, right? Yeah, using drugs, <laughs> that he wasn't doing crack. So, um, and he was, which is uh, fine. I mean, not fine, but maybe he's getting over it. Maybe he's in rehab. I don't know what he is, but he lied on his form, which is, uh, I believe it might, I think it's a felony. So um, he's lying to the FBI. So a lot of people lie on those forms and there are very few prosecutions. Let's go after people who are lying on those forms. Let's go after, let's tighten up the system. Like in, in Charleston, the, the, uh, the local police hadn't uh, informed the FBI that there was criminality, you know, but that shooter had done drugs as well. So um, anyway, so I think, you know, there are plenty of laws in the books. We need to tighten those up. I'm all for, you know, going after people who lie on background checks, but we don't need any more laws. And and what was the disposing of the gun uh, Hunter Biden near a school or something? What's that? I don't know the, the, the particulars exactly, but something like I think it feels like this is just how it feels like after reading it to me or what it seems like is that his girlfriend, I guess it is, uh, felt that he was a danger to himself or a danger to others and took the gun and just threw it out in nearby garbage, which happened to be across the street from a school which is uh, an, you can't it's, it's it's I'm not sure in Delaware what the laws are, but you're not supposed to throw out guns in in uh, in that way. You're not supposed to dispose. Of yeah, that's that's not that. a safe. I mean, if you're not supposed to dispose of your antibiotics in the trash, you know, or or any prescription, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to throw a Glock in the trash and just hope that no, nobody finds it. But um, right. I, I'm speaking to David Harsani of National Review here and David on the Hunter Biden stuff. So so here's my thing, and I think you you alluded to this this feeling just a, just a couple of moments ago. Yeah, addiction is a very very serious crippling thing, and it ruins families, and and it is quite sad. I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's actually just being fair minded to say that yeah, Hunter Biden is an addict, and that's something that we can sympathize with. Hunter Biden is also. A really narcissistic, spoiled, destructive scumbag. And and if if he were Donald Trump's son or even any Republican son, for that matter, he wouldn't be going on a book tour right now where Jimmy Kimmel is basically giving him a back rub on TV. Yeah, I mean, I never or very rarely were right about stories that have to do with like infidelity or drug use of politicians. Like I just don't do it because we don't really know what the situation is all usually. But here's the thing. This is the this is now the president's son, the vice president's son, who only made a you know, who made 50K for a Ukrainian energy firm because of his last name. And uh, we're not allowed to talk about this sort of thing because it makes the president look bad. And it's just insane. I mean, if like you said, if, the, if, if this was Don Jr. or any of Trump's kids, it would be all over the front pages of every newspaper. He's a bad guy. I'm sorry. You know, the things he's done are, are immoral. It's not just the drug use. I know addicts and, and, uh, and I know that people make mistakes and, and, and et cetera. But that's not the case here. It doesn't seem to have any mu- much remorse about it. But moreover, he is benefiting from it still. Now he has a book um, and he's and he's playing himself as the victim where, you know, and major media institutions aren't investigating what he was up to in China, in, in, in Ukraine and et cetera. They would just not be the same for any other president's son. I mean, any at least any Republicans. It's remarkable as well, David, to, to see I, I, Chris Hayes, for example, over at MSNBC, 
uh, who his he's I guess if you're like a, a Brooklyn liberal, you know, he he's your he is your uh, your your great champion of, of progressive causes. I don't know. I, I've never understood how this guy is someone that people listen to about anything. But that's me. Uh, he, he he had some tweet about, you know, maybe maybe is it possible that Hunter Biden's laptop was actually real? And I look at that and I honestly can't come to a a conclusion. I can't analyze with certainty in my own head. Is he just really not smart? And so he he doesn't believe that the, the laptop was it's clearly real. There's more information that's come out about it. It's obviously Hunter Biden's laptop. If it wasn't, they would have been able to debunk it right away. Or is this now kind of a game? I mean, is, is gaslighting on something like this for people who have large platforms in the media on the left part of the fun? I don't know. <laughs> I think that many times people convince themselves of things like the Russians are, you know, the Russians planted Hunter's laptop with the New York Post. I mean, I still see people say stuff like that. It's just insane. That story, those stories had far more journalistic integrity and the people who did them had far more journalistic integrity than most stories you see on on MSNBC about Russia or whatever else. So I don't I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's it's increasingly clear now we you and I knew this and we talked about it at the time that those stories were censored on purpose to help one pre, you know one candidate win the presidency. It's corrupt, the media's I mean, corrupt. I, I refuse to say things as a matter of course even if it will benefit my my, you know, I'm, I'm a registered Republican, even if it will benefit the Republican Party, it'll I refuse to say things that make me feel like I'm a moron. I, and I don't see that among very prominent people on the left. I mean, I, I went on on a tear recently because on on Joe Scarborough's show uh, on MSNBC in the morning, he went on this whole thing about how, you know, vaccine denialism is for moron Trump supporters and like they're a bunch of, you know, toothless rubes who are drinking their you know Budweiser at NASCAR I mean it's just he clearly makes this about anybody who has a question about or vaccine hesitancy is some idiot Trump supporter when I mean in reality the biggest vaccine hesitancy uh bulge in the demographics is among minorities but you know it's like he's not embarrassed to say something that's just so very stupid because it serves the purpose in the moment yeah, I mean, it depends. So so I think that a lot of people on the left who are smart, you know, as far as their IQ goes, are will do anything because they feel like Republicans are evil and anything is fine to say as long as it, you know, helps them achieve the goals that they want. I think there are other people like Joe Scarborough, who is just not very bright to begin with, but also uh, it will say anything for ratings and will say anything that people want to hear wherever he is. I mean, when he was running in Florida, you know, he pretended to be this one type of person and now he's up in wherever, what is it in New Jersey or wherever, uh, MSNB, MSNBC films, he pretends to be whatever is good there. When Trump, when Trump was bringing him ratings, he said, whatever Trump wanted to hear. And now that, you know, Trump is, was unpopular. He said, so, so he'll say whatever he wants. Um, but so it depends who you're talking about, but I think there's a lot of ends justify the mean stuff there and people sort of are in bubbles and they repeat things and they start to believe them or if they don't, they just want, you know, it's propaganda. It's basically how propaganda works. They just keep repeating it. And, you know, I can't bore into the souls of some of these people to know if they actually believe what they're saying. I'm embarrassed for them quite often, like Jennifer Rubens of the world. I just think it's an um, sort of emotionally driven hatred of certain kind of people or Tom Nichols at the Atlantic. I think he just hates 
the aesthetic of people who wear America shirts or are too flag wavy, you know what I mean? Or, or people who live in places that he doesn't visit. Um, so I think that's a problem too. So I think it's a bunch of different sorts of sort of, you know, there are different sorts of trends going on. Is this Biden administration at this stage more left wing even than what we saw in the first year of the Obama administration in 2009? First, Buck, I just want to say I love that you let you team me up to go after my least favorite people in the media. So I just wanted to quickly say I appreciate that. Um, but moving forward, um, I love to displace my anger on this show. So um, the second thing is, yes, I mean, obviously, I think the part, le- yeah, the the policy wise, they're far left. I mean, they're they're far left of, of Obama, and this is just accelerated in ways that are incredible. So today, I saw Joe Biden is 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 going to have a study group to look into packing the courts. I mean, you know, why would he do that? It's not popular among normal people. It's not probably even popular among most Democrats. It's popular on the far left because the far left is the loudest, the most activist, the most, you know, the the the, the people who raise the money, the people who are out there marching, and he, he has to placate them. So I think that, I think Joe Biden's not left or right. I think Joe Biden is wherever the, he thinks the Democratic Party is. He's been that way his whole life from 1973 when he was cozying up to segregationists to now. But I think that, yeah, I mean, policy wise, it's 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 incredible. The language they use, the racial um, identitarian sort of things that he says, the the anti-gun rhetoric, you know, it's just all far, far to the left. So I don't know how that's going to work out for them in the elections. But uh, I mean, like this gun thing, what was the point of that? Just to rile up right wingers and make yourself look even farther to the left. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. David Arsani, everybody, nationalreview.com. Go check out his piece there. And David, always a pleasure. Thank you, Buck. I think that's right, Joe, and I think that's part of what uh, is driving both the, 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 the overwhelming bipartisan support in the country, not Washington, but in the country for the COVID relief measures and for this infrastructure bill that the, that the administration is trying to push forward. So that's a big thing, a paradigm kind of shift. Maybe I, I know you, we've been talking about this for several weeks here. You know, the Roosevelt era to the Reagan era. Are we on the verge of a new activist progressive era uh, led in an unlikely way by Joe Biden? I think that's not impossible. But here's the problem with it when it comes to guns is that guns have become largely a cultural issue and not so much an issue about economics guns are definitely a cultural issue and it's that the left has convinced its adherents that gun owners are bad people they really believe that i mean they they actually have disdain for people the kind of people who own guns are the wrong people you see in their minds Uh, and I, i think that we all need to remember that there's a there's a sense of the gun owners of America, according to Democrats, are the red, you know, the red flyover state people who have who listen to the wrong kind of music, eat the wrong kind of food, go to the wrong kind of schools and vote for the wrong politicians. And that's it all gets wrapped in together here. Uh, but the, the talk about Biden as a very progressive candidate now or a sort of progressive president, rather, uh, is something that we shouldn't ignore. It's very real. And we do have uh, what's going on right now with the Biden administration unveiling before us a commission, a commission to take a look at court packing, folks. If you're wondering how how extreme they're willing to be, this is the New York Times. Biden creating commission to study expanding the Supreme Court. They're, they're really doing this. They're really going to try to push this. 
The commission will also examine other potential changes, such as term limits for justices. Progressives are pushing President Biden to add seats to balance the court's conservative majority. President Biden on Friday will order a 120 day study of adding seats to the Supreme Court, making good on a campaign year promise to establish a bipartisan commission to examine the potentially explosive subjects of expanding the court or setting term limits for justices. This is according to the White House, written in The New York Times today. The president acted under pressure from activists pushing for more seats to alter the ideological balance of the court after President Donald Trump appointed three justices, including one to a seat that Republicans had blocked his predecessor, Barack Obama, from filing for uh, filling rather for almost a year. This is a reminder of, of, a, of something that is always true about Democrats. When Democrats are out of power, anything in the system that stops Republicans is sacred and must be protected. When Democrats are in power, anything in the system that stops them is racist or obstructionist and must be destroyed. If you remember that, you'll understand so much of the propaganda and demagoguery that comes out of the Democratic Party on a regular basis. If you can just keep that in mind, so much else will make sense. There's no principle here. There's no there's no shared value that we're looking at when it comes to the Supreme Court. No, no. They want an outcome. They don't respect process that does not give them the outcome they demand always and at all times. You see this with everything, with elections, with the DOJ, with the court system, everything. Democrats don't get the political outcome they want. They trash the system and undermine it. They get the political outcome they want. It is sacred. It is it is not to be touched. And anyone who who even brings up criticism of the way the institution is functioning is undermining our institutions and our democracy. That's what they say. Very difficult to argue with people who have no principles, but that's what we're constantly forced to do with the progressive left in America today all the time. It's very hard to have a conversation with people who have no moral core about moral issues. Privacy is uh, very important these days. Taking care of your tech really matters. We all see this now with the whole Hunter Biden laptop situation, right? I mean, what you're doing online and what what exists on your devices, that can really come back to bite you. And that's if obviously you're somebody who's doing all kinds of crazy illegal stuff like Hunter Biden was. But also, for the rest of us, your politics becomes a problem. That, that's what everyone's seeing now. I think, I think everyone's becoming more aware of the fact that if you're a conservative, you simply cannot trust big tech. You know, they took down a Ron DeSantis YouTube video where he had a roundtable of top health experts talking about how lockdowns have failed. YouTube just took it down. They said, not in line with the consensus on mask wearing and lockdowns. Not in line with the consensus. Oh, I'm sorry. So now the, the YouTube standards uh, folks are health experts. Really? Uh, something else is going on here. And they've shut me down, too. They come after me in the past, as you know. But you can take action to protect your privacy online. You can anonymize your Internet connection, surf the Web freely without wondering who's going to get a hold of your search history or viewing habits or what they'll do with that information. I mean, do you really want the government or big tech to be reading over your shoulder everything you do online? Exactly. There's never been a more important time than now to protect your Internet activity. That's why I urge you to get ExpressVPN. When I use ExpressVPN, the big tech companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity, my identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server, and my data is encrypted for maximum protection. 
stop handing over your data to big tech companies now and to the government. Defend your rights with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. Does it make you crazy when you hear someone like Donald Trump Jr. saying that the only reason he does is because he's a Biden and because of his last name and how just wildly yeah. comical that is? I mean, does it? It is wildly comical. Is that, that's putting it um, uh, lightly, I think. But, but, you know, I really what I've learned is this, is that I don't spend too much time thinking about it. I do. I think about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'll think about it for you. Well, maybe that's why, because I have other people to think about it for me. I have other people to think about it for Do you me. know Donald yeah. Trump Jr.? No. You've no. never met him? No, not that I know of. Not that I know of. You say not that I've I know some of. some pretty, pretty rough place. Yeah. Um, so here we go. Here we go. Now, now we're going to have the media saying that Hunter Biden is not the, you know, it, look, Jimmy Kimmel, isn't this amazing? You get you get these comedians, you get these guys who are supposed to be making people laugh. But what you really see is that they're political actors who also make some jokes. What you see is that they're they're serving to to aid the propaganda purposes of the Democrat Party. That's what Jimmy Kimmel does. And that's why when you have Hunter Biden in this way, you have Hunter Biden uh, getting, you know, he's laughing, everything's fine. If you see the stuff that is out from the laptop now, I mean, Hunter Biden, it, it's really disturbing. I mean, he's he's got multiple prostitutes. He's making videos with prostitutes. They're, you know, on top of them, naked. I mean, it's like, you know, this is not stuff for, for anybody, you know, any of uh, anyone under 18 to be seeing. They're blurring it out in the media outlets, but... You know, uh, this is just crazy, right? Well, you see what's going on with him. You see what a bad guy he actually is and the things he's doing. I mean, it's just all gross and it's degrading and it's wrong. And then, of course, there's also the stuff where you just get him. I think he's in a he's in a feathered boa in one photo in tidy whiteies. Uh, You know, he's in he's in a very scary. Look, I I'm just reading the news, folks. This is what's out there. This guy's taking these photos. I mean, he's like 50 years old. What is he doing? I mean, he's got alimony payments he's got to make. And and, and he's going to compare himself to, to, to Don Trump Jr.? Donald Trump Jr. Is, is in a whole different category of responsible human being compared to Hunter Biden. But, oh, yeah, they're going to make jokes about that. Oh, nepotism or whatever. Yeah, look. There is nepotism in the Trump family. There's no question about that. I don't live in some delusion. But there's nepotism in the Trump family where you have, you know, Don Jr. and Ivanka and, you know, graduating from Ivy League schools and and presenting well and speaking well and and working in companies that, yes, that they work for their father's company, but they can at least talk the talk, walk the walk. I mean, Don Jr. gives a good speech. He's good on his feet. You know, and I hate nepotism in politics, mind you, but nepotism in the private sector is just a reality. You know, somebody who starts a company is going to want to give it to his children. That That's just the way it works. It's property. That's how it happens. But to compare this with a Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden was getting paid $50,000 a month, uh, $50,000 a month to uh, 
be on the board of Burisma. And now we see these photos. I, I wouldn't pay this guy five dollars a year to advise me on a hot dog stand. The only reason he was getting that money was because of his of his dad. And we all know it. His dad was the vice president, too. So it's it's something that that affects all of us in the sense that he's a. A public official, a powerful public official at the time. And here he is talking about how, you know, he's actually he was qualified, you know, Oh, I know Hunter Biden went to Yale, right? I mean, this is the truth. When you're when you're a Democrat politician, because I did say before they went to Ivy League schools. Look, I knew Ivanka growing up a little bit. She was a good student. She was smart. Everybody knew it. Uh, wasn't a great student. I mean, like I was a better student, obviously. But I'm just saying she was a, she was a fair a B plus kind of student. She was a pretty good student at at, at good schools. And uh, you know, Hunter Biden, this guy is clearly just a, a total a total wastrel. But he says, oh, no, he got his board spot. Here's why. Play five. You wrote in the book, um, <laughs> I do want to talk about this, you know, the Ukraine yeah. and or Ukraine and um, yeah. and it became some an issue. It became something. It gave yeah. Donald Trump something to grab onto. Yeah. He almost got well, he did get impeached yeah. as a result of it. But yeah. um, you wrote, did I make a mistake by taking a seat on the board of a Ukrainian gas company? No. Did I display a lack of judgment? No. Would I do it again? No. Yeah. And I, I meant what I said. I meant what I wrote is that, uh, you know, go to the beginning is that, you know, I went to Yale Law School. Um, I served on uh, at least a dozen boards before Burisma. I was a vice chairman of the board of Amtrak. Um, I was a chairman of the board of the uh, World Food Program U.S., largest uh, supporting the largest humanitarian organization in the world. I had a expertise in corporate governance. I was asked to serve on the board for corporate governance. And I was a lawyer at um, Boyce, Schiller and Flexner, which was how I was first approached. However, what I didn't take into account was the way in which they would use the perception against my dad. Mm. And for that, I, I, I have uh, I, I wouldn't do it again for that reason. Yeah, that's the only reason. It's because the perception thing, not because the whole thing is so absurd, not because it's so clear uh, that this was the worst kind of nepotism, right? Nepotism that involves private companies and corporations is one thing. Nepotism that involves leveraging your familial ties to somebody in high public office is a different thing. When it involves a country like Ukraine, when it involves foreign countries and, and interests, I mean, this is a whole different level. But again, look at how dishonest the media is. Look, look at what they're willing to do here to make it seem as though Oh, yeah, it's all the same. You know, Hunter Biden is such a such a, a a sympathetic guy. You know, maybe maybe we should just give him a break. Actually, he's kind of a likable guy. He's a good guy. This is somebody who impregnated a stripper and now says he doesn't even remember meeting her. This is somebody who's got photos of his meth mouth and and photos of him with multiple prostitutes that he's paying to sleep with. I mean, it's just disgusting. This is Joe Biden's. Son, the president's son. And the media makes him into a likable figure. I mean, it's one thing if he was going to go off and get treatment and, you know, live a private life, whatever. He's going on the talk show circuit. He's putting himself out there. I mean, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But I guess it is believable because this is the way it happens. This is the the double standard of the left on display and they just and and the left wing media 
nothing, no truth matters to them. You know, he's on the team. He's on the team. Biden is their guy now, and anybody that's affiliated with Biden is on the team, and they'll protect them, and they'll do all that kind of stuff. So it's a really uh, stunning situation, isn't it? Um, Yeah, Hunter, Hunter Biden. Anyone who says the laptop is not real is either a liar or a moron. You know, the laptop wasn't Hunter Biden's, I should say. Anyone who, anyone who claims that, it's laughable. Um, and yet, many big voices in the media have been saying that all along. They've, they've been making that a, a part of this. They've been acting like may, maybe, just maybe, it is in fact the case uh, that this was Russian disinformation. In fact, I'm, I'm still upset about how former intelligence officers uh, very much debased themselves. And I'm talking about big names in the intel community, Clapper and Brennan and uh, I think Hayden and Panetta. They all signed that letter right before the election about how it was Russian disinformation. It absolutely was not Russian disinformation. That was a lie. So these people are either liars or they're idiots. I mean, it's gotten to the point I've been saying this where for me, being you know ex-CIA myself, although only for a few years, I look. I joined the CIA to help find Bin Laden and some of his, some of his uh, co-conspirators, some of the bad guys, and I realized what the federal government was really like after about four or five years, and decided that you know I wanted to go do other things. Quite honestly, that was what ended up happening. So I'm not some CIA careerist, uh, but it's gotten to the point now where I feel like work, having worked in the intelligence community, the CIA is now like. Somebody having worked at Enron in the uh, mid 2000s, you know, early 2000s where, yeah, I don't, I don't think you want to want to brag about that one. You know, oh, I'm a CIA guy. Uh, I don't know. The brand is very damaged. I mean, yeah, I learned a lot of stuff there. I know things that are useful, particularly know things about the truth of the intelligence community. But man, the brand, it's just like people I know work at the FBI. James Comey. Oh, my gosh. The FBI is never going to be the same, at least for a generation or two now. People are going to realize, oh, it can be run by partisan hacks who do injustice in the name of justice and who are really just hatchet men for the Democrat Party. And they can run the FBI, as James Comey did. This is uh, this is the, the country we're living in now. It's It's concerning, but this is where we are. And this is what we are continuing to deal with. Yeah, the... Russian disinformation. Think about how elaborate that plot would have to be. I mean, it, that's really the best the Russians could do, first of all. I mean, the, the, the Russia conspiracy theories from the Trump era uh, used against Trump are so outlandish that now it's really hard. It's really challenging to think of something that's too crazy or stupid for Democrats to believe. Right. What it, what is beyond the pale for them? What's it? And we see it with the the return of this. Russia mindset, Russia with the laptop, which was clearly Hunter Biden's. And if you see the photos, you see what's going on. Like I said, you know, what does this say about Joe Biden's parenting skills? Are we allowed to ask that question? Is that not? Now, I know he's the president. He's he's not the parent in chief, but he kind of poses like he's America's grandpa. And. What a mess this guy Hunter Biden is. And I'm not just talking about the drug abuse. I know a lot of people can get caught up in drugs and it's a sickness and it's, it's you know, I, I do have a lot of sympathy for that. But there's a difference between being a drug addict and being a drug addict who flaunts it and makes money off of your affiliation with your family in ways that are corrupt and gross 
and is paying off prostitutes two at a time and making videos of it and taking photos of yourself basically naked and smoking crack. I mean, what a just what a disaster this guy's. But yeah, on Jimmy Kimmel show. Ha ha ha. It's all so funny. They're all such good buddies and friends and everything else. Sure. You know, because must be good to be a Democrat. This is something that. You know, it does cross my mind. It must must be a really special privilege thing to be able to be a Democrat who um, can always always count on the media to catch your back. Always, always be there to to take care of you in one way or another. As long as you're as long as you're important to the cause. Think about it, walking around with that kind of protection, no matter how much of a scumbag you are, it must be a remarkable thing to be a famous Democrat in America today. We had this under control. And what the Biden administration has done is very deliberate. So we're all wringing our hands because Kamala won't go down to the border. Well, let's say she does. Let's say Mayorkas does. So what? They don't want to change this. This is very deliberate. They took very willful steps to reverse Trump administration policies. They remain a Mexico policy, the asylum cooperation agreement, stop building the wall. And maybe more importantly than all of that, send a signal to people that they're welcome here. This is important for everyone to know because it, because Crenshaw actually gets what's happening. He understands this dynamic too. the Democrats. We keep we keep assuming or, or there's this mindset of, oh, the crisis at the border is that we have so many people coming into the country illegally. That's not what Democrats think the crisis at the border is. They view it as a problem of whether or not the people can be processed quickly and efficiently enough and be kept comfortable as they're led into the country. What do we think Kamala is going to do if she does go down to the border? I mean, we know, of course, very little, but I mean, just what what do they think? They're going to talk about more resources. They're going to talk about more people down there to process the, the intake of those who cross illegally into the country. But think about this for a moment. That just means then more people will want to come. <laughs> They're actually we're working at cross purposes with the Democrats on this, or rather we're thinking about this at crops cross purposes with the Democrats. Their view of all of this is that they would like uh, a better, more efficient entry process for the hundreds of thousands of mostly Central American migrants who cross illegally and then want to stay here. They want that process to be smoother. We want this to stop, but for it to stop, there has to be a change in the incentive structure, and they're not going to change the incentive structure because that would mean turning people away. In fact, as I've said, they're making this easier. They're making it more likely for people, more likely for people to want to come because they'll say, oh, well, now I know that if I, if my, if I send my children to cross the border, if I send my kid to cross the border illegally, he or she will be well taken care of in a very nice facility and allowed to stay for sure and get schooling and health care and everything and be placed. And why, why are more people going to come? Why isn't that going to result in even more legal crossing? And this is why the, the problem is only going to get only going to get worse. And as I'm getting ready myself to head down to the border, you know, now there, there are people uh, who are making videos of them, members of Congress have made videos where they're just standing there, and there's just just people walking, and this happens particularly at nighttime, just walking across the border in large numbers, large numbers of them. 
But don't call it an open border, they say. Oh, it's not open. Yeah, it's so secure that hundreds of people at a time in different places all over the U.S.-Mexico border are just going to walk into the country. That is, that's where we are right now. That's where this is. And, and I just, I, I got to tell you, it's, <laughs> it's amazing to see how the Democrats have no way of explaining this to people other than to just focus on the humanitarian and emotional impulses around the issue while not dealing with the fundamental fact that as long as people can come into the United States illegally and are likely to stay and are comfortable in the whole process, they're going to keep doing this. It's not going to stop. And in fact, it's going to escalate. There'll be even more of this. So I don't know where this goes. I mean, it'll drop down a bit in the summer because it gets so hot that it becomes dangerous and just uncomfortable for people to try to cross into America illegally on foot. But I I don't know what happens beyond that, Uh, other than I I think it's likely to, to continue and you'll have you'll have this going on for the first two years of the Biden administration. The only way this stops is if Democrats feel like it's a true crisis for their poll numbers. Then they might have to do something. We talk a lot about online censorship these days. We have these discussions on this show about how people like me are being suppressed, being shut down. What can we actually do about this? We have to fight back effectively in the war against big tech suppression and censorship of conservative ideas. We've got somebody who knows very well exactly how we can do that now uh, with us. Matt Needler, he is the CEO of of caucusroom.com. Caucusroom.com is uh, somebody that I work with as a sponsor. We're very pleased to have Matt on. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks for thanks for having me and thanks for uh, supporting us. So Appreciate tell me what, what we have heard recently from Supreme Court Justice uh, Thomas. That seems to be be sticking with people as, as a, a beginning point for the conversation of how we can start to get rid of the big tech monopoly by treating it like a monopoly. What do you see? And tell us about what what Thomas says and how you see this moving forward. Yeah, I mean, um, Justice Thomas really, uh, you know, kind of put a shot across the bow to the real big tech platforms, especially, I think, the app stores uh, and Amazon, uh, the folks that that took down Parler, as we know, a few months ago. Um, He he, he pointed out in uh, an opinion he wrote uh, around uh, the uh, a lower court's decision about um, President Trump blocking people on Twitter. Uh, they actually um, just ruled that opinion as moot because he's not president anymore. But um, but in the he put in a, an opinion associated with that that said, hey, you know, uh, okay, so so maybe President Trump shouldn't have blocked these folks on Twitter, but. Um, Twitter blocked President Trump <laughs> and like the, the power of Twitter to do that is pretty extraordinary. Um, and we need to be looking at not only that, but but how these app stores and others uh, are treated um, in terms of whether or not they are uh, uh, offering a public accommodation, kind of the way like a, a hotel can't turn someone away because of, you know, some arbitrary reason. Uh, but, uh, you know, if they if that person is, is violating the rules of the hotel, they can. Um, so he was likening it to a, a public accommodation and then also um, possibly as a, uh, a common carrier, kind of the way like a train company can't refuse one 
kind of product, uh, and, but but to accept another, you know, competitor's product or something like that. So so he pointed to those two things, and it was basically just an invitation for uh, someone to uh, bring a case to the court. And um, so we were watching that with a lot of interest here at Caucus Room. Um, you know, as you know, Caucus Room is uh, a social network for conservatives, um, and so we've we're always pretty wary of you know, legislative, inf- you know, uh, uh, legislators getting um, in the mix because they'll probably screw it up. And, and, you know, we don't exactly, you know, whatever the court decisions are is usually kind of an up or down or, or nuanced decision with some specific issue like that Twitter case that, uh, you know, probably doesn't relate to the way caucus room works. But, uh, but we watched it with a lot of interest. You know, we've certainly, um, uh, had our own issues with the app stores and, and are still trying to get onto the app stores. So we've learned a lot, uh, but it was a really important decision and one that we're still kind of chewing on this week. So, um, so tell us maybe you're, and, and we're speaking to Matt Needler, who's the CEO of caucusroom.com, which is a social media site for conservatives and one that I've, I've partnered with as a sponsor. And, and I, I want to know, Matt, uh, wh- why can't you get in the app store? For example, what, what's the reason <laughs> that Apple, one of the most powerful companies in the world gives for why you can't actually have have an app just like, you know, it seems like there are millions of them these days. Yeah, you know, it's uh, so uh, there's a lot of answers to that. I mean, the first few times we were rejected uh, were perfectly reasonable. You know, we had bugs. We had uh, it didn't load properly or it was missing um, a couple basic, you know, security features that, that Apple wanted to see or something like that. And so we've addressed all of those. We're going to be resubmitting really soon. Um, but uh, the one of the things that that uh, is there's kind of a key term which is called user generated content, and that's the official jargon for what a social network is. Um, and when you think about user generated content, like that could be anything. It could be the the pictures people put up on Instagram. It could be um, a, a text that uh, someone puts in onto Twitter. Um, and you know anybody's ability to preemptively moderate that is is virtually impossible there are some screening things and whatnot that um apple requires you know in terms of like like we don't want you know pornography on on caucus room caucus room is a place for conservatives to caucus we it's a lot like uh sort of nextdoor.com where uh it's you know oriented first and foremost around your neighborhood but you can join uh larger groups in fact there's a there's a great buck sexton group getting started this week um uh, it's a Buck Sexton club because we have clubs, newsrooms, and causes. Anyway, so when people join Caucus Room, keep an eye out for that. But the point is, user user generated content uh, is something that the app stores have extra requirements for. So if you're uploading a, a game like a Tetris kind of game or something, they've got one level of screening. But if you have user generated content, they've got a whole another level of screening. And so we have been. Uh, working for, you know, the better part of nine months to, uh, and it kind of feels like sometimes the goalposts are are shifting on us, but, um, uh, you know, the latest thing that they had was, you know, that we, because we screen people who uh, want to join caucus room and participate in our, you know, the discussions, post content, create a group or something, um, we, we, you have to be a real person and we got to know that you, you know, you share the same generally say share the same conservative values that the other members share on the site. And so we have a little screening process. So Matt, tell me this. I mean, this is a different thing that you're doing with caucus room. How do you verify conservatives? 
Yeah, so we do a few different, uh, we have a few different methods. We've got a few, you know, commercial data uh, things that we can run against. So, um, you know, one of the, the things that we've, that's very clear is that uh, liberals hate it when conservatives talk online, right? And so um, there were, you know, one of the, the problems that Parler fell into was that, you know, there were a lot of people joining it just to sabotage the conversations and to sabotage the site from the left. And, uh, you know, that is, that's always a concern. They, you know, poll after poll shows that the only people who feel totally comfortable talking online are, are the most liberal. And so when we built Caucus Room, we wanted to at least do some kind of a, a screening system to keep those liberal trolls out. And, um, and, you know, for the most part, I think we've been, we've done a really, really good job at that uh, as we've been growing. But the, you know, so, so you, we use some commercial databases and we also uh, allow you to, to vouch for a friend. Uh, so if you've got a friend uh, that you, you know, it's sort of on you if they join caucus room and misbehave. But uh, the point is like we we're trying to uh, set up a system where, you know, we are here to caucus as conservatives to have some, you know, conversations, you know, who is the city council candidate we like in our neighborhood? Uh, who's the, um, you know, what, what sort of slate of school board candidates do we want to support? And then all the way up to the national level, talking about national uh, conservative issues as well. But uh, we don't feel like people will be able to comfortably have those conversations unless we kind of clear the room of, um, you know, the troublemakers first. So so that's our that's our goal. But, um, you know, that said, uh, you can now join and, and at least uh, look around a little bit without uh, a screening process. So we have a a limited access before we screen you if you'd like to see what it is. So there's so there's one level of people can just sort of see what's going on if they go to caucusroom.com and and then to yep. get more involved and to be posting and things that's where this verification comes in. Um yep. and just give us a sense of it. what are some of your plans down the line as as this grows and expands. Yeah, you know, we um I'll put it this way, our verification system is so closely mirrored to to the way um uh, we're, we're based here in Colorado, so we, we launched in Colorado, and it's so close to Colorado's caucus system. You know, when you go to the caucuses, you actually have to, to show your ID, um, and you have to uh, show that you're a registered Republican, in, in, our, in this case, um, in order to participate in your Republican caucus. And it's great because then you meet your local neighbors who are Republicans, and you talk about the local issues, and you nominate, and, you know, you, you work your way up the uh, the chain to nominate uh, people at the various assemblies for state legislator, county commissioner, uh, and then, you know, all the way up to governor uh, and president. And so that's how, you know, a lot of the caucus states worked. And, and I found a great value in that. I'm a former state legislator. I didn't have, I was very young when I ran. Um, I didn't have a, a Christmas card list, but the caucus system gives you sort of an instant support network of neighbors who are, you know, share your values and want to help people like you get elected. So going through the caucus process is great for, uh, you know, a young local candidate just getting started. And we felt like we should see that online. So it's open to not just Republicans. You, as long as you're a, uh, you, you just share conservative values, you can join. But um, that was the, the inspiration for the site. It wasn't we didn't want to be like some other social network. We wanted to be um, a, a, an organizing tool for conservatives. Uh, both locally and nationally. So that's where we're, that's where we're headed. Uh, we're in almost every county in the U.S. Uh, most major cities, we've got hundreds or if not thousands of members already. 
um, and with your help and uh, you know and and a bunch of other folks, we're we're growing really really fast, and so we're. Um, you know, we're just getting started. That's great. But, and so uh, here in New York, I can find other people who are like-minded through caucusroom.com, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. You'll find them in your County. You can find them in your state. Uh, you can, you can start a group. If I was a, you know, if I'm a, if I'm thinking about running for office, um, uh, especially like state legislative level, you know, we've had some people, um, already, you know, announcing for Congress, et cetera. And they're, they're setting up caucus room groups so that they can uh, find a, a local support network of verified conservatives to kind of help them get started. Fantastic. All right, everyone, everyone should definitely but, go check out the uh, yeah. Buck Sexton group at caucusroom.com. Matt Needler, CEO of caucusroom.com. Matt, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Hey. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Buck. Yeah, well, there has been a change, and I think a lot of Americans, uh, especially hardworking, poor middle-class Americans, are going to start behaving differently. They're going to start voting with their feet, going to start looking with a little bit more of a suspect eye toward what's happening in Washington, D.C., and within the Democratic Party. Because, look, these policies are not sustainable. The spending levels are out of control. And these are all going to lead to economic catastrophe. Senator, I want to double back on a topic we were discussing here in New York. If you- Yeah, the spending levels are, are not sustainable. I, I know that we, we didn't talk about this, and I used to bring it up occasionally. And I would say, you remember, if you've listened to the show for years now, which some of you have been listening to the show almost 10 years, uh, but I would say, hey, uh, the situation here of spending even on the trump administration is not good folks you're spending too much money i know no one wants to hear it you know maga you know no one wants to hear anything other than how awesome everything is but we're spending too much money and it was true now we're spending way too much money i mean this is crazy and it's like we're we're putting our currency through a stress test to see if we can just break the whole thing we're we're trying to see if we can find a way to create inflation almost, that's what it feels like. And, and eventually this is going to be a big problem. And I don't mean in 10 years, I mean in this first Biden term and inflation is so damaging because what ends up happening is that you have people with assets who own assets. They can raise those prices or those assets will be inflated, particularly in the stock market, which has already been happening at some level. But, you know, if you are somebody that owns property and you rent it out, well, you'll raise you'll raise prices in order to keep up with inflation. But if you're somebody who relies on wages, it's it's more difficult. And and if you're somebody who has savings, your savings will purchase less. Your savings are worth less. You are eating away at people's savings with this process. Uh, You know, every 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 action has an equal and opposite reaction. The most basic truths of of economics and of objective reality are being forgotten in this whole process and i understand it's not it's not politically appealing to people to hear that there's not some magic money tree that's going to make everything so much better I, i understand that but at the end of the day we have to be honest about this and and that means confronting the fact that while nobody wants to be the one who's telling everybody how bad things are right now. Well, maybe a little bit because Biden's the president. I get that. But, you know, I I don't want to be a downer, folks, but this is going to get out of control. And the problem with inflation is that when you figure out that it's happening, it's often too late to do very much about it. Uh, I mean, well, you can do things about it, but you've already got a problem. That's a better way of putting it. And and here's 
you know, Claire McCaskill is saying that the GOP is the the party of grievance and negativity, darkness and doom. Now, I I was just talking about some negativity, but, you know, sometimes negativity is something you need to talk about. But I think the Democrats are really the ones who well, they're the ones that that view America negatively. I just I just view this as a function of math. But anyway, here's Claire McCaskill. Play 16. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, what what is the Republican Party for right now? Uh, I thought it was really interesting yesterday that that Joe Biden led so strongly with the message. Bring us your ideas. I mean, the Republican Party has become uh, the party of grievance, negativity, darkness and doom. This is so far from the the profile of Ronald Reagan, it it would give you whiplash to look at the two different models. Um, They just are against everything. No, we're just against what Democrats are doing (laughs) because they're doing dumb things that are hurtful to the country overall. It might help some people, but overall they're bad. And that's how we feel. And it's just so funny, isn't it? We're the party of negativity. For four years, Democrats, while Trump was president, spent spent all their time trying to explain to us how uh, Trump was basically a fascist and how they were ruining uh, they were they were we were ruining the country by having somebody who was a, a Hitler like figure almost as president. But oh, and there was a Russian plot to steal the election and he wasn't even really the president. And the country is so racist and there's white supremacy everywhere and all these things that they say. And then now they turn around when they're in charge. It's like, why are you guys so, you know, why are you so negative about the country? Oh, okay. As if the entire Democrat agenda for four years under Trump wasn't to convince everybody that the country was basically spiraling into the the seventh circle of hell. I mean, I think we can all see exactly what was happening. and, And I remember it. But I do have to say that on the question of or on the issue of massive government spending and trillions and trillions of dollars, uh, we have to look at this and understand that, uh, yeah, they're spending too much money. And this is going to have really negative ramifications for people. This is going to affect you. It's going to affect me. And by the time it's clear that it's a problem, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to say, wow, you guys were right. They're going to say it was Trump's fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the rich not paying enough taxes fault. It's something like that. They'll have some excuse, even though we can all see this train of inflation is coming down the tr- coming down the tracks. And it's it's going to get ugly, friends. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for roll call. Producer Mark, what was it like going to opening day of the the New York baseball Mets? How was it? Uh, Incredible. Uh, It was so nice to be back at City Field uh, after a very long time. Uh, Beautiful day. It was in the mid-60s, early, uh, low 70s, and it was sunny. Um, Got to eat some hot dogs, have some beers, watch a baseball game. It felt like normalcy again. Yeah, it was a little weird. It wasn't a full park. But uh, it was as close to normal as uh, I personally have gotten in a long time, so it felt good. Very nice, buddy. Yeah. Who ended up winning the game? The the Mets won. What was the score? It was a three to two. They walked off, uh, walked off, hit by pitch. What does that mean? That that means the 
batter got hit by the pitch and the bases were loaded, so he gets to go to first base, so that means the runner from third scored. Is that, I mean, I just got to ask, is that a little anticlimactic? It's like, oh. Completely. It was actually a very weird situation. Nobody in the ballpark knew that it hit him because the umpire signaled strike three. So me and a lot of fans started booing because the guy at the plate had grounded into a double play with the bases loaded. He'd been bad all game. So we started booing. Then all of a sudden the umpire signaled that it hit him and the Mets won the game. So it was very weird. It was the strangest ending to a game I've ever been to. That's for sure. But the Mets won. That's all that matters. There we go. What was your uh, what was your ballpark food of choice? Uh, I didn't go with anything crazy. A lot of stuff wasn't open because of the full, it wasn't full capacity. Ah, um, okay. So I just went with the staples. I went with a hot dog, went with some beers. You know, nothing crazy. See, I will say when I used to be able to eat the gluten, uh, the hot dog with the bun is is was there was something pretty nice about it. I was always though when I was a kid, I was a ketchup guy. Then I got older, I became a mustard guy. Oh no, I I definitely go ketchup. I don't like mustard. Mm, yeah, you like all that sugar, don't you? Uh, I mean, I'm not worried about the sugar on a little bit of ketchup. Well, I'm telling you, ketchup's a good in condiment. Ketchup. I'm sure, of course, there is, but you know, it's delicious. It's not like yeah, I'm look, using. I'm a, I'm a weirdo it. though. I I go. And I, I have no shame about this. I just, I think that mayonnaise with French fries is amazing. And, and I know oh. that people, I know, like a total savage mayonnaise and French fries. I love it. I love it. The smell of mayonnaise makes me want to vomit. Yeah. Wow, really? I hate oh, mayonnaise. mayonnaise is a great condiment. So many, so many of my uh, red-blooded American team buck listening across America right now are saying, producer Mark, mayo is the I've best. I've said this before. If you like mayo, great. I just yeah. don't like it. You know, aioli is just mayo with with oil in it. You know, a little yeah. extra oil and flavor. So I don't so. eat many aiolis either. F- fancy aiolis. All right, let's get to it. Facebook.com slash buck sexy. And want to send us a Facebook message. Somebody sent me. Uh, by the way, they 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 sent me a message on Instagram. They said, "Buck, how do I? I want to text a couple friends your show." Uh, which, by the way, it's a huge huge fa- favor, and we thank you so much for anybody who could do that. They, but how? They said how. So it wasn't that easy to do in the iHeart app. I'll just tell you, you can go to bucksexton.com slash podcast and just cut and paste that URL. Just just do a copy paste, rather, that URL. Send somebody that link, bucksexton.com slash podcast. And it goes right there, and you press the, you just click the play button, and you're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. So please, that's a, that's a really easy way to do it. Uh, if somebody's not that familiar with the iHeartRadio app or with Apple Podcasts, producer Mark, can you can you text people uh, Apple uh, from the Apple Podcast Store? Can you can you text links? Can we do that? Do yes, you, know? you can. You can uh, go and, and search for the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, I believe you click on the show page, and there should be like the three little dots that you use to share things. Uh, you can either share an episode or the full show, and it it will give you a link. All yeah. right. I think there you can do go. that on the iHeart. Oh, one more thing. Well. Um, you know, Mark, the Snow Princess came back from uh, from Buffalo yesterday, and I got to see her. It was so exciting, so happy. Cause I haven't because I had COVID for two weeks, couldn't see her then. Then she had to go home to Buffalo, where she's from. So I didn't see her then, and so I hadn't seen her in like three weeks. And uh, so we saw her last night. We had a great, great, you know, catch up time reunion, all that. And, but we we were just it was kind of late. We wanted to watch a, some kind of a movie, some kind of a show. We put on the number one, the number one thing on Netflix. Just we're like, all right, we'll just give this a shot. I knew nothing about it. 
we got about 30 minutes into it, maybe. And I'm pretty sure it's about a guy who's having a relationship with a woman and the daughter of the woman is figuring out that the boyfriend is a human lamprey, which is like a, a fish that grabs onto another fish and sucks its insides out. Pretty sure that's what this movie's turning into. And it just makes me wonder, because we watched this one. We had another Netflix movie recently about like the crazy babysitter who's like sexy but crazy kind of a thing. You know, this is who is writing this crap, Mark? Like who comes up? They have they have such deep pockets at Netflix and, and Amazon and Hulu. Can't they just make good shows? Why do they make such trash shows? Yeah, but I don't have a clue why Netflix makes this trash, but people are obviously watching it. I mean, why else would they be making it and spending the money if people aren't watching it? I think they're very hit, hit or miss, but that's the point. Some people like some stuff. Some people don't like other stuff. I guess it huh. just reminds me a little bit of how uh, I remember I grew up in my, my family. We were uh, I, w- I was fortunate, I guess, in a sense, in that we had my dad likes my dad likes to watch TV. He's a big reader, but he also likes to watch TV. And and we had like all the different HBO channels. And if you're watching all the different HBO channels, like like I was occasionally something would come on late at night and the, and the movie would be it would be so bad. I mean, it would honestly be such trash that the thought process, even as like a teenage as teenager watch this, stuff, I think who thought this was a good idea? I mean, who who because they spent money, they made this movie. You know, who thought that making and the one that always comes to mind that I brought up before the show was Leprechaun 5. Remember producer Mark? Do you, do you even know the leprechaun? I am the leprechaun. Do you remember the leprechaun movies? You know what I'm talking about? No, and based on how you're describing them, I don't want to. I am the leprechaun. Come here, laddie. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll eat your face if you try to take me. Put a gold. You know, there was this little guy. He was actually a. It was a. It was a little person. He actually was a little person um, named Warwick Davis, who was an actor who played the. Lead character in the movie Willow, which was a Disney movie that is kind of a Dungeons and Dragons fantasy genre movie. And uh, he, so he's a little person. But then he went on to make a whole bunch of these movies called The Leprechaun. And, you know, I always think of Leprechauns as the guy from the cereal box. You know, Frosted Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious. You know, do you remember that? I'm talking of about? course. Yeah. Those are legendary he's like a nice... He's a nice little leprechaun. You know, he wants to hand you little marshmallows that are different charms and the whole thing. And Lucky Charms, I used to eat it. I thought they were pretty, it was pretty yummy. It would turn the cereal milk weird colors. Anyway, frosted Lucky Charms. And, and I used to eat that stuff. The Warwick Davis uh, leprechaun character is a mean leprechaun who, like, like kills people. He's a very bad leprechaun. Anyway, they made... Leprechaun in Space, Leprechaun in the Hood, true story. Uh, they, they made so many of these movies, and he just walks out and he's like, I'm the Leprechaun, and he like bites people and rips their faces off and all this stuff, and it's pretty violent sometimes. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, who is the screenwriter for this? Who makes these trash movies? <laughs> but then I guess I'm sitting here talking about them, and I kind of watch some of them, so... I guess some people will watch stuff even when it's garbage. But Netflix is this is all my way of saying Netflix producer Mark is making some, is making some pretty trash stuff these days. They're yeah. either going to they either win Oscars or, or some sort of award or they make trash. It's there's no in between. There's not a lot of in between. 
they don't do a lot of gentlemen's B plus. You know, it's either an A or a or a D. There's not a lot of of mid mid range stuff in the shows over the so anyway. I guess the Snow Princess and Arc. We might finish this. I don't even know if this is finishable. Like we got through the uh, the you know sexy college student uh, nanny who you know I, I I can't even explain it. That was number one on Netflix. We got through that, which was absurd. I mean, it was so bad. But anyway, I'm looking for something good to watch this weekend. If any of you have recommendations for me, I'll never forget. It was this audience that told me about the. Masterpiece Theater Show Pole Dark, which is available on Amazon, which is a great show. Well, you can watch it with the whole family. It's a great show, really well done. You know, I I recommended recently for one of my family members Outlander, which have you watched that one, producer Mark? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. I enjoyed Outlander, but I will say it's really violent and there's a lot of uh, sexy 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 naughty time stuff going on in that show. And special fun, fun time. Exactly. That's that that thing. And and it's uh, you know, it's a little too much, a little too much of that. Uh, so I, I couldn't I, I haven't been able to finish outlet. So I'm looking I'm looking for a new show. Anyway, that's that's I've thoughts. told you about Ted Lasso about 100 times and still haven't watched it. Yeah, I think I'll do it. Where is it? Is it on? Is it on uh, Apple Hulu? TV? Oh, see, that's why I don't have Apple TV. Just download the app and get a free trial. OK, maybe I'll do yeah. that then. Uh, is have you seen the Superstore show? Yes, fantastic. Love Someone it. else said that, so I might check that. Where is that Hulu? That's on Hulu. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna give that. I'm gonna give that a shot. Have you uh, seen Brooklyn Nine Nine? That's also Snow a Snow show. Princess. We're gonna check out Superstore. Okay, um, she she's hearing me. Uh, and uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes, that's the Andy Sandberg. It's a, a cop uh, comedy. Is that one good? Hilarious. Love it. Okay. All right. So I got a couple to add into the mix here. Let's get to your thoughts, team. We got John up here. Hey, Buck, quick question. Did the number of deaths in the U.S. go up last year? Not taking into account how. I wonder if the rate was redistributed to COVID, if there was a significant rise. I'm also curious if it changes if we adjust for the rise in suicide and murder. I know COVID is real. I want the actual impact. Thanks. John, I have not independently dove into uh dived into dove into uh these numbers i have not uh, done that yet i will tell you that my understanding is that there is excess mortality uh substantial excess mortality in the year in the covid year so a, a lot of people did die from covid who you know when you look at so expected mortality is in any given year in the u.s how many people die and Excess mortality is a clear separation from, I guess, a, a standard deviation, at least above that and uh, or, or a deviation from it. We could just put it that way. And and there were uh, a few uh, hundred there were there were hundreds of thousands of additional deaths from covid. Uh, a vast majority of those deaths are people over 70. So you start to get into, well, there are more people dying that uh, from covid. But there's also a high percentage. If you're looking at just the excess mortality question as a function of numbers, there's a high percentage of people who died who were near life, near uh, life expectancy in the U.S. anyway. But yes, the answer to your question, John, is that a lot of a lot of people did die. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people did die from COVID, based on everything that I've seen. Burke, 
writes, you sound like a an, an elitist snob when you denigrate states with less population. Density isn't necessarily a good thing. Most people don't want to live right on top of one another. And frankly, leadership is leadership. Population size has nothing to do with it. If you can lead, it doesn't matter if you're governing Florida or Montana. Christy Nome is disqualified not because she's in a small state, but because she caved to wokeness over the issue of biological sex. Um, okay, Burke. Well, let's actually, so I, I, I appreciate you writing and taking the time. Let's actually uh, address what you're saying here. I didn't say that density was good or bad. Uh, so I, I don't know why you're, you're thinking that that's what I was saying. I was pointing out that comparing the leadership shown by Ron DeSantis in Florida with a population of 21 million and a lot of density during COVID and comparing Christy Nome in South Dakota with a population of about 2 million and a population density similar to the South Pacific, as I've said, uh, islands in the South Pacific, is not an apt comparison because COVID density translates directly to more cases and higher mortality. And so it's not as impressive as a leader to be in charge of a state that is much smaller with much lesser density because those things factor so much. This is like saying, why aren't we New Zealand, Burke? Why does New Zealand have such a better COVID response than we do? It would be intellectually dishonest to suggest that you could compare those two things. New Zealand has a much smaller population and much less density than the United States does overall. So I, 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 I mean, you can call me uh, whatever you want to call me, but listen to what I'm saying. Don't get angry based on what you're interpreting or, or your interpretation rather of what I'm saying. Uh, I, I have no, I'm trying to move to a less dense place myself. <laughs> I don't know what you, I don't know why you think I like density. Density stinks. Too many people is too expensive. Uh, and obviously in a pandemic, density is a real challenge. So Burke, always free to write and to criticize. But on this one, my friend, I think listen more closely to what I'm saying. Let's come back in a second with more Roll Call. Coming back here with Roll Call. Remember, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, or you can email us, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Uh, Richard Buck, I'm very glad you survived the Rona. We should all take inspiration from our Bostonian Patriot ancestors and have a Coke party. I mean, I assume he means the soda producer, Mark. We should record dumping out Coke products and sending them to Coke and Coke CEO. I'm tired of these lib crazies and these companies need to feel some kind of pain. Major League Baseball is just as bad, but I don't have any baseball stuff to burn. Let's have a Coke party while keeping our shields high. Not like a not like a Hunter Biden Coke party. He means like the caffeinated sugary beverage. So just to be clear. Um, but yeah, Richard, thanks for writing in. And thank you for being glad that I survived the Rona. I certainly am too. Uh, Dave, hey, Buck, listen to the podcast late night as usual. Our VP literally just said strengthening up our economy over water policy. Are you kidding me? I'm looking forward to you and producer Mark strengthening up your podcast to make sure water is managed properly. No pressure. What the hell are these people talking about? David, that is a great question. What the hell are the Democrats talking about when it comes to things like infrastructure? And as we've said, anything they want to make infrastructure is infrastructure. Well, that's not how that's not how words work. That doesn't make any sense. But uh, yes, we see it for what it is. And we will continue to focus in on what is true and what is real. Team, I want you all to have a great weekend. Thanks, as always, for being here with me. Please do tell one person, text them. 
a link to bucksexton.com slash podcast. Say, hey, listen to this guy. It's the best conservative podcast out there. Talk to you all Monday. Shields high.